You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. If you will, take your Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter 20 today. John chapter 20. Hey, the sun came out, and uh, praise the Lord for that. It was a little doomy and gloomy this morning earlier, and uh, how appropriate the sun would come out, and uh, thankful for God's goodness in our lives. Thanks for learning that song with us. I hope that's a, uh, a keeper. Now and then you run across a song, a new song, a lot of those good old songs like that first one, Up From The Grave He Arose. That's just like, you got to sing out on Easter Sunday. But I think, thank you, Jesus, we'll remember that song. First time we sang it, probably 20 years from now, kind of like in Christ alone. That's a tremendous song, and I hope that your heart is filled with gratitude, or at least it will be as a result of our time today. John chapter 20, let's look at verse 19 and 20. Before we read that for just a moment, I want to invite you back next Sunday. I expect this large or larger of a crowd next Sunday, all right? I am an eternal optimist, or I would not be in the ministry But uh, next Sunday, we're starting a new series called Epic. We're looking at the significance of one faithful follower of God. We're going to be looking at the different proper names listed in Hebrews 11. So a bit of a shift for us. We've been looking in the Gospel of John for some time. Looking forward to that. And next Sunday, we're starting with Abel, not Abel. I kept trying to force myself. We have family in our church, and uh, they pronounce it Abel. But we'll be studying Abel next Sunday morning. And so going back to antiquity, one of the first human beings on the planet, so I invite you back for that next Sunday at 1030. Luke, or John chapter 20, let's look, if you will, at verse 19. We'll come back to the interluding chapters in the Gospel of John later this year, but uh, we're finishing up at least the first half of our year in this section of John. John chapter 20, let's begin in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, this is the first day of the week, Being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus. All right, stop right there. Okay. Came Jesus. So he's moving. He's alive. We'll come back to what leads to that in just a moment. But imagine seeing that for the first time or reading that for the first time. And stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. And then I want you to know specifically the last phrase of chapter 20, verse 20. Then were the disciples glad. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And so I want to look at for a few minutes today this subject on Easter Sunday. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the life that we have in you. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the joy it is to be here. The joy it is to be here today. Um, Thank you for each that's here. This is a divine appointment. Thank you for many uh, of our dear guests that have chosen to worship with us today. Thank you for just the courage that takes, the intentionality that takes to choose to gather in a new church and setting. And I pray, Father, you'd help us as a church to be a blessing and encouragement to them. I pray for others of us in the room that are here again this morning for the umpteenth time or celebrating Easter as I am this year, Lord, for 37 years, Lord, I've been a believer and have experienced this day in a new way. Thank you for that gift. Thank you for everything that you are and everything that you do and that you offer to us anew and afresh today. I pray, Father, you would move 
you would stir, you would accomplish your will in each heart, starting with mine. Thank you for this day. Thank you for Jesus. Bless this study now, I pray, its application in our hearts and lives to your glory and to your honor. In Christ's name, amen. Remember several years ago, uh, we were riding in the car, and obviously my first name, if you don't know me personally, uh, is Harley, and what's hilarious about that is nothing could be further from who I am. I don't think I've ever worn black leather. Um, I don't have any tats. I, I don't have a lot of the things that go with that culture, and uh, my dad owned Kawasaki's, and for some reason named me Harley, and that is both my greatest asset and also my greatest liability. I'm memorable either way, Okay. <laughs> Um, and uh, I'm grateful for that. But anyway, we have a lot of memories with motorcycles in our family, not so much me riding them. Uh, I remember several, this would be way back, uh, our youngest, uh, we were riding in the car and Landon looked over. You know what uh, ape hangers are? You know what I mean by that? Those that are motorcycle, you know, the big high bars, you know, where the guy sits down and his hands are above his head. Um, and, and it was the first time that Landon had seen that. And it, we, it just cracked us up. But as he looked over, and unfortunately, this guy riding it with the ape hangers also was south of five feet tall, okay? So he was a little guy. And Landon looked over. I still remember. You remember this, Heidi? And he said, he said, he said as he looked through his little lens and perspective, he said, that motorcycle's too big for that man. That was, <laughs> that was his expression. That bike is too big, all right? He, he needs to downsize a bit. Can I tell you as we begin today, aren't you thankful that one of the beauties of Easter is that death itself is not too big for Jesus Christ? Um, And if if that's not too big for him, then what's left, okay? Um, And so our gratitude today is fueled not by where we're at and what we have or what we can do or not do. It is in the fact that Jesus has conquered death. And so our thank you today is because he is so glorious. And in verse 20... The word glad that's found there at the end of verse 20, they were glad, has this idea in the original. It means to rejoice exceedingly, to be well, or to thrive. So this glad was not, oh yeah, you know, that's great. Jesus is back from the dead. There was a euphoric, exuberant, unbelievable energy in this room that just a moment before was encapsulated and insulated by fear is now just glowing with joy. And the change was the fact that Jesus came back into their midst. He had conquered uh, the grave. Somebody said this, Jesus coming back from the dead puts an exclamation point on everything he's ever said. It's not just, <laughs> it's, there's power to what he has said. There's power to what he has taught. There's power to what he's promised. It puts an exclamation mark upon everything he said. And here's my thought today before we unpack the text. It also ought to add an exclamation mark to everything we say to him. Thank you, Jesus, with an exclamation point and so our mark. And so that's the, that's the vibe today of our study that I hope God will help you enter into. All right, so the question is this. In a day and in a world filled with grumbling and ingratitude, we hear it everywhere, it's just so bad, and everything's gone south, and we just, just, wah, 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 just that negative vibe. How does the empty grave, as we just saw in video content and presentation, how does that empty us of those spirits and attitudes and fill us instead with this enduring, emphatic gratitude uh, toward uh, Jesus Christ? So let's talk about today three sources of gratitude 
that Easter alone provides for us as believers. And our outline is there in the bulletin or on our website if you're tuning in online today. Uh, I trust this will help you follow along. Let's talk about three of them in the time that we have left. Number one, we need to first of all be thankful for the resurrecting evidence that God has entrusted to us. Have you ever noticed that religion, one of our issues, especially even we who follow Jesus Christ and believe in Him as Lord and Savior, we tend to look for props to try to kind of prop up our faith or to solidify, hey, we're right and what we believe in is true. We lean on technology, politics, celebrities, the list goes on and on. Can I just tell you, we don't need those things. We don't need celebrities. The empty tomb, the resurrection alone gives evidence that what we believe in has been verified. And so we ought to be thankful, first of all, not just that Jesus came out of the tomb, but that God gives us clear, unmistakable evidence to undergird that belief. And so let's go back now to the beginning of chapter 20. And we don't have time to break down this text at great length today. But let's talk about what got the disciples excited and literally got them running. Um, not just were they glad in verse 20, back in the beginning of the chapter, we see them on a full-out sprint because of what maybe has been true, uh, proven true. Go back to verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark. All right, so this is early Sunday morning, the first Easter Sunday, under the sepulcher, and see at the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth, notice she's running, cometh to Simon Peter, to the other disciples whom Jesus loved, and saith unto him, uh, probably with bated breath, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Let me give you two things as it relates to this evidence. First of all, notice it is open, open evidence. The grave is open, the tomb is opened on the first day of the week. And likely this would have been a cliff face with some sort of a stone. If you can visualize like a coin where it's, it's wider this way than its thickness, but would have been in kind of a, a, a groove or a, a, a trench. And as that stone was rolled into place and Mary comes and instead of it being closed, she had come to, to affirm and to reflect upon her savior, upon Jesus. Instead, she finds the grave is open and notice that her her assumption is that someone has stolen the body. They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher. Now, in Matthew chapter 28, we find clearly the sequence is that the stone was opened, listen to me, after Jesus had already been resurrected. So be very careful in your understanding. If you're new to the story or you're visiting it again for the umpteen time, the stone was not rolled aside to let Jesus out, Right? Because in verse 19 that we just read to begin with, those kind of barriers no longer hinder this glorified body. And so Jesus is already out in Adam. He's, he's up at the crack of dawn, if you will. The stone is rolled open for what reason? To let these disciples in the text, as well as you and me, to look in. Uh, and so the IPO, if you will, we use that term in, in, in stocks, the initial public offering where something is open to the public. Um, God is opening up the tomb and letting all who choose to to peer uh, inside. And so here God is giving us open evidence. Verse 3, notice the second aspect of this evidence. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, this is how John referred to himself, the human author of the text here, and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to 
the sepulcher. Number two, jot this down, not only is it open evidence, also there is an empty evidence. The tomb is proven not just to be open, but to be empty. Um, I, you're here this morning on Easter Sunday, and a lot of you, especially visiting, you probably just come in, and, and hopefully our church is a blessing to you, but there's a lot that goes into a day like today behind the scenes, and if you're not careful, churches even that I visit, the tendency is to think it's a well-oiled machine. Well, everything's just kind of humming. Hopefully, things have seemed pretty well organized this morning, but I can tell you, if you get even just see behind the door, as we all know who've done ministry, it's sometimes very chaotic, okay? I just have to be honest with you. Perfect example of that would have been Friday night. You can see these thank you cards that are being held by little magnets. We had a great, probably the best Good Friday service we've ever had. Uh, just all of us were here. I can't even put it into words. It was just, there was something here that God did. Um, but it almost didn't happen. At about 6.20, Pastor Nathan came to my office door and he said, have you seen the magnets? I'm like, the ma- you mean the magnets? Like that the whole, the whole service is built around? We've been promoting now for months. And here... Uh, inadvertently, somebody had thrown away what they thought was an empty box, which actually had those precious little magnets in them. Wasn't empty. Thought it was empty. And so at 620, literally, this is Pastor Nathan's role in our ministry. He's in, he's in the dumpster trying to dig out. We have, we have three or four memories that involve dumpsters, okay? And, and they're not, none of them, most of them didn't end as well as that one did. Where did that go? And, and it just... It's interesting to me how sometimes we think things are empty and they're not. And either we wish something was there that isn't, or we wish something, more importantly, was not there that's still there. And against hope, against all hope, the disciples were looking into a place that where their, the body of their, their leader had once occupied, it is now empty. And so God shows us, proves to us, the grave is empty. I love these verses. And I, I don't know about you, I find it hysterical that John not only res- refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved, but also he was lighter of foot than Peter. That just cracks me up. The old geezer, he couldn't get there as fast as I could. They're, they're running, and when they get there, first John and then Peter, they see simultaneously uh, that the grave is empty. And notice the the pause of John in verse 5. He stoops, looks in, but doesn't go in. Then the impulsive one, Peter, following him, went into the sepulcher and see at the linen cloths lying. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. And so Peter goes into the tomb. Now, isn't it interesting that it mentions that the handkerchief or the face covering is neatly set aside? This shows a very careful, uh, intentional exit from the grave. There was no grave robbery. There was no uh, chaotic uh, scene. Uh, It was choreographed by heaven itself. It was very carefully orchestrated through the plan of God. Verse 8, John then quickly says, Then went in also the other disciple, this is John, speaking autobiographically, which came first to the sepulcher. Again, he, he just has to make sure we know that. I just find that hilarious. Uh, And he saw and believed, for as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And so John sees the evidence and believes. One author said this, Christianity, unlike any other religion, is based on the public ministry, the public execution, the public burial, and the public resurrection of Jesus Christ. It doesn't call for blind faith. 
it leaves behind a body of researchable historical facts, even today, that calls on us to come and see and dares us to disprove it. Um, That's how boldly uh, God puts on display his resurrection power. And so may we today appreciate not only that God resurrected his son, but he wants us to know that it's true. Thank you, Jesus, for that. That not only did it happen, but I can know that it happened with absolute certainty and the belief and trust in God's word, as well as all the other ways God has opened that up to me. Um, I was actually here for the first time, and I'll show you a picture of the end. This is the, uh, there are two resting places. Um, There's one to the side, and then this is the one that, again, from what we know, some would suppose, archaeologists, this is possibly where the body of Christ uh, laid. The moniker you see on the wall there uh, is uh, from the 6th century, uh, Byzantine. They would have been the ones that put this marker. Uh, The Greek letters you see at the bottom referencing Jesus as Uh, Alpha and Omega. Can you see that W there on the right? And then you can see it's a little bit scratched off, but the Alpha would be there on the left. He's the beginning and the end. An empty place. An empty place that that frees us and, 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 and empties out of us all the things that we despair of and all the things that we long to be removed. Uh, We see clearly God has proven this place is empty. Um, One author I heard said this, the resurrection is the biggest I told you so in history. It literally is. I told you so. And yet here we see in verse 9 that we just read, the disciples still were slow of foot, slow of faith. And so God empties this tomb and he opens it for them to see. All right, number two, let's spend a few minutes talking about, secondly, the resurrecting intimacy that we have with Jesus. So you have this little moment with John and Peter and the empty and open tomb, but now you have this little dialogue or vignette between Mary, that's referenced in verse 1, and her Lord and Savior. Look, if you will, here in verse 11. Be thankful for the resurrecting intimacy of Christ. See, God doesn't want to just, before we read the text, God doesn't just want to bring us life. He also wants to come close to us. He wants intimate relationship with us. Um, One of the things I think we struggle with at Easter, and and some of us um, come to church at least on this Sunday, if not other Sundays, we celebrate this every Sunday in one sense, but it's almost like going and watching a movie that we already know the ending. We already know how this ends, right? You do know Jesus comes back from the grave, right? Can I assume that today? Um, Or at least you would say of us Christians, they believe that that's what happened. So we already know how the story's going to end. So it's not really today about the what as much as the so what. Why is this important that we celebrate Easter? And, and, And the why is this. Jesus wants to come near you and he wants to come near me. He wants intimate relationship with us on a day-to-day basis. All right, so notice how this is modeled or previewed, if you will, through his dialogue with Mary. Verse 11. But Mary, unlike the disciples who are running around and processing this in their own way, Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked in into the sepulcher. In verse 12, seeing two angels in white, uh, in white sitting, the one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And again, we don't know for sure the picture I just showed you that that is the actual place, but to think that it might be, and to look to one end, there's where the angel was, and look to the other end, that's where the other angel was. That just, 
blows your mind. It's unbelievable. Anyway, so she sees that. Um, verse 13, and they say unto her, woman, why weepest thou? And she said unto them, because they have taken my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. Notice now verse 14, and when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Can I give you two things that Jesus today wants to do anew and afresh through his resurrecting intimacy? Number one, there's an intimate approach. Jesus comes to you. Jesus comes to me. How many of you with a raised hand have watched some of the, of the um, chosen the app or the movie series several of us have. Um, if you haven't, it's not all of it built clearly in Scripture. There's some license, literary license. They fill in some of the gaps. But here's, here's my theory on why that series has been so impactful. One, it's free, which is an unbelievable thing uh, and all that they've invested in that. And number two, because it features individual interaction between Jesus and Peter and Mary and John, and Simon, the list goes on. It's a personal, individual kind of feel. And before watching that, to be honest with you, even as someone who regularly interacts with the Word of God, I tended to view Jesus as speaking to just multitudes and just feeding thousands. When Jesus dealt with people individually, isn't that amazing that the risen Savior wants to come close to you today? He wants to come close to me. Uh, and so we see this clearly alluded to in his interaction with Mary. She alone is on her lonely vigil. She has this bit of dialogue with the angels. And then in verse 14, Jesus is before her. We don't know why she doesn't know that it was Jesus. It could have been. It's pre-dawn, so likely it's at least still a bit dim. She'd been crying. Have you ever cried your heart out and then tried to look at things? So possibly tears and darkness. But thirdly, God could have just been withholding this from her until the right moment or Jesus would reveal himself to her. And so we, we see this approach of Jesus in a very intimate way. Notice verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. Do you think that Jesus today as the risen Savior knows your name? Are you hearing him today? Hey, Rod. Hey, Bill. Hey, whoever. Hey, Nathan. Hey, it, do we hear him? Do we see him in that reference point? Do we see him in that personal, intimate approach. She, he calls out her name. She turned herself, notice, and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Now she recognizes who it is that is before her. Just a word of application as it relates to how Christ comes to us. Do you know that Jesus often comes to us in a very lowly guise or demeanor? Who did Mary think Jesus was? She thought he was the gardener. There was no extra glow to him. There was no, you know, um, halo. There was no, some of the, the vibe and the portrayals that we see. God often comes, Christ often comes, the risen Savior, in a very lowly, approachable manner. And that includes approaching people like you in places like this with little people like us. Could it be that Jesus wants to come near you today? Don't miss his approach. Don't, don't miss how average he looks and how approachable he feels. He's nothing close to average, but he, he comes to us in an intimate, approachable manner. We see Jesus doing so with Mary. 
And so this reminder that everything she had dreaded and everything she thought she never would experience again is now being redeemed and restored and even improved upon as she now spends new time with Jesus Christ. One author said this, the resurrection means everything sad is going to eventually come untrue. And it will somehow be greater, and I would submit more intimate with Christ, for once being broken and lost. Everything sad will one day come untrue. Mary thought it was over, and then Jesus came walking. Jesus came back. Would you let him back into your life? Would you let him in for the first time? All right, go to verse 17. A second aspect of this resurrecting intimacy, verse 16, Jesus, or I'm sorry, verse 17, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but I go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and to your Father and to my God and to your God. Number two, intimate encouragement. Intimate encouragement. Um, I was going back through it, popped up in my uh, memories yesterday um, of past Easter pictures, and I hope you'll stay afterward and get a picture with your family in the lobby. We've got a backdrop there if you'd like to do that. This is a picture of the Snowed family in 2017. This would have been our first Easter in this building, and I think we were standing over here next to these dusty uh, planters. There were like 30 of them circling the whole room we first moved in. Um, that's Easter 2017, and Ian and I look like more nerds there than I think even we do now with our glasses, but um, that's us in 2017. Um, just a thought today, in all seriousness, some of you are going to go out the lobby and not pause for a picture today. You're not going to take a picture with family today. And here's the honest truth. is because others in your family, I don't mean this in any way, in a funny way, they don't want a picture with you. Some of us today are estranged, are we not, from kids and grandkids and siblings and maybe our parents and maybe even someone else in our family is with the Lord. But there's tension and there are people who literally, listen to me, don't want to be in the picture with us today. Jesus does. He, he wants to be with you. He wants to be where you're at and where you live. That's the intimate approach. That's the intimate encouragement that the risen Savior gives us. What a source of gratitude. Through all of our shortcomings and what others think or don't think of us, Jesus longs to be in our lives. He longs to be near, to be nigh unto us. And really what Jesus does is he comes the whole way and there's just that last little space that we choose to let him in. He's not going to force himself on us. He come, came all the way. He's done everything for us. All we have to do is accept him, let him in as Savior, continue to let him in as Lord uh, as a believer. Now, when Jesus says to Mary, touch me not, there's been a lot of supposition on what that means. Obviously, it doesn't mean that he was untouchable. Uh, in Matthew 28 and verse 9, it talks about the disciples held him by the feet. And, and later in John 20, they touch him, they interact with him. Uh, what's he saying here? Uh, Mary, who wanted to hold on to or to interact with Jesus as she had done prior, Jesus is now reminding her of this new relationship that will someday change when he ascends to the Father uh, and sends in his place the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so he is, he's reminding her, things have changed. I'm with you. I'm a part of your life, but it's different than it was prior to the resurrection. Now, one of my favorite things in the text today is notice how he refers to the disciples in verse 17. 
Go to my what? Brethren. And say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. And so for the first time, Jesus refers to the disciples as his brethren. Reminds him that his Father is their Father. That there is now, because of the resurrection, it's family. What's more intimate than family? What's closer than that description that Jesus gives to his disciples? You are now my brethren. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can never be a part of the family of God. Can we? God cannot be our father. He's our judge. Uh, Jesus cannot be our brother. Uh, He is our judge. And so through the finished work of Jesus Christ, we are a part of his family. Notice then in verse 18, Mary is commissioned to go and tell the other disciples what what she has seen and also what she has heard from the lips of Jesus. In one sense, Mary was the apostle to the apostles. She was the sent one to the sent one. She is sent to encourage them and to remind them of what uh, Jesus has done for them. Now, let's get to the heart of the text today. Look at verse 19 as we begin with today. So all of that builds now to these key verses. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut. Notice that John is careful to include that. Where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And so as they're fearful, as they're worried about, are we next? Are we going to be next to be killed as followers of Jesus? Suddenly, Jesus shows up. It's key to note that the Lord entered the room without opening a door. His resurrected body, though able to eat and to be touched and felt, was able to pass through um, barriers that previously uh, even he could not. He had chosen those limitations, and so this glorified uh, body that Jesus now possesses. May I say to you today, listen to me, no matter what doors or walls your fears and your hurts and your cynicism have erected, listen to me, Jesus can get to you. He can come in. No matter, and, I'm, and a lot of that's just defense mechanism. Let's be honest about that today. Other saviors and people even associated, quote unquote, with Jesus have disappointed us. Jesus is able to still come in and have fellowship and intimate communion with us. Would you let him into your heart today? Let down the wall, let up, down the, the guard, and let Jesus enter in and experience anew and afresh this oneness with him. In verse 20 then, he not only says peace to them, but then he shows him the means of this peace, his hands and his side. And so we know that these remnants, the scars of of our redemption, still are a part of the glorified body of Jesus Christ. And as they see and as they feel, joy fills their hearts as they now truly believe that it is the Lord. He is resurrected. All right, let me give you just this word of encouragement today. And by that, I mean I'm going to pick on you for a second. Um, The tendency around this time of the year for some of us in the room, possibly, I hope this isn't true, but it may be of some in the room, is, okay, calm down is how you're thinking. Why, Why is everybody so worked up and excited? Why are we marking our cars last Sunday and writing thank you notes to Jesus and inviting people uh, to church? Why, Why is all that a part of of what we're doing this year. 
In Luke chapter 24 and verse 41, it says the disciples believed not for joy. This was so good, it couldn't be true. And yet once they realized it was true, the exuberance that we just read in verse 20, then were the disciples glad should challenge those of us who tend to think maybe we're a bit too excited on Easter. In fact, one author I was reading said this, moderate, tepid joy is not apostolic Christianity. Listen, ordinary Christianity is joy so raucous, so wild, without for a moment denying the hellish horrors of life, that it defies belief. And then he asked this question, how do we get it? By seeing the risen Christ. Where is our raucous excitement that the tomb is empty. Some of us are so, listen, we're so theologically familiar and framed about it. It was mentioned this morning in our small group, our discipleship group, that it's just academic. Where's the heart? Where's the joy? Where's that exuberance in you, brethren? May God stir in us as it relates to this intimate access we have to Christ. With a living Savior, we have access to intimate fellowship, family status, peace, and joy that is divine and eternal. How can we not have hearts pulsating with faith to be saved today or gratitude that we are saved? He wants relationship with us. All right, lastly, let's spend a few minutes in verse 21 to 23. And there's a third thing that should stir in us today, a greater sense of gratitude because of Jesus and his resurrection. Look at verse 21. Then said to Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father, notice this, this is key, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Thirdly and lastly, be thankful for the resurrecting mission, the mission that God has given to us. Um saw this the other day. This is a valid listing on, any of you familiar with Facebook Marketplace? Do you know what I'm talking about with that? Crazy things being sold on Facebook. This, this one, to me, takes the cake, okay? This is two weeks ago in Broxton, Massachusetts. Gent, gently used cask, cack set, all right? Can't even spell the word casket right. This is your listing. I'm sorry if I offend you. Gently used casket was, this is hilarious, was only in the ground for 18 months, decided to go a different route. I don't know what that means. Uh, minor wear and tear. This I found hilarious. We'll trade for bike parts. <laughs> uh, and then the last line is, price is non-negotiable. That's as low as I'm going. 200 bucks for a gently used casket. Um, the line there... 18 months, decide to go a different route. Can I just say to you today, in all, in all seriousness, because now I got you awake again for a moment, no matter how long your hopes and dreams and a sense of purpose and mission have been buried, whether it's 18 months, 18 years, most of your life, listen to me, Jesus can resurrect you. Now, see, the resurrection of Jesus is not just salvation. And if you don't know Christ today, you need that. You desperately need that. But for we who know him as Savior, as every Easter clicks by and every Sunday goes by, if we're not careful, we lose our sense of mission and of purpose. Because life changes, right? We age. Some of us are battling serious health things today and other financial things and, and different dynamics where we just can't do what we once did. Listen, Jesus can give us a new sense of mission and purpose. 
Do you have a reason to live today? Do you have a reason even to die today? Do you have a cause? Do you have a purpose? If you do, or if you want one, it is possible through the resurrecting mission of Christ. Some of us have settled for, this is all I'm going to be, and this is all I'm going to do. And yet you have vibrant relationship with a living Savior this morning. Where's your sense of mission? Who is your mission? Uh, May Jesus renew that in us, and as we sense that new, fresh purpose, have gratitude in our hearts. All right, notice two things he gives these disciples, now turned apostles. He's going to send them out. Notice two things about this mission that are only possible because of a risen Savior. First, at the end of verse 21, you see he says, As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Number one, it's a commissioning mission. He commissions them. He he recommissions them from being just disciples to also being apostles of him, representations of himself as he is of the Father. I was reading an article the other day that was talking about this idea of we privatize our faith. Like we would, I think most, if not all of us in the room, say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the resurrection. But it never leaves us. It doesn't come out of our lips. It doesn't show in our life. We're not regularly witnessing of this Jesus and what he has done. One author said this, privatized faith in a resurrected king is inconceivable. Privatized faith in a resurrected savior is inconceivable. If we're not sharing our faith, listen to me, stay with me. If we're not sharing our faith, I would submit to you, we don't really believe in what we claim to believe. It, it, it's, it's what are we doing with it, shares how convinced, how compassionate, how believing we are in what God has given. Are you commissioned by the resurrected Savior? Verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Number two, empowering mission. Not only did he commission them, but then he gives them access to the power. This is an interesting verse because Pentecost has not yet occurred. What's it mean that he breathed on them and they received, uh, and they received the Holy Ghost? Uh, likely this is a preview, probably not the Holy Spirit in all of his fullness because Jesus is still on the planet, the one who has to leave before the Spirit can come, but at least it's a preview of the, the greater knowledge and truth and power and guidance they will receive for their mission once the Spirit has come. We now live in the fullness of the Spirit, right? We have the Spirit of God. We possess the power that also has been given to we in our day. Romans 8, 11 reminds us the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The same spirit that brought Christ from the dead is the one that lives inside of us. A spirit that, pardon me today, probably wants us to be a little more grateful and moved by the realities of the resurrection. And so this empowering mission, lastly, verse 23, I love this verse, a confusing verse at first blush, but one that carries great weight this morning. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto you. He's speaking to these disciples. And whosoever sins that you retain, they are retained. What in the world is Jesus saying here? As the disciples go, the import of this would be, as they're representing Jesus, that as some people repent of sin and receive the Lord Jesus, the disciples are authorized to tell them that their sins are forgiven. I have that privilege today as a, as a representation of Jesus, the risen Savior, that if you'll repent of sin, you will be forgiven of sins. 
That's my mission. That's my purpose. I would submit to you as believers, if you know Christ, it's your mission as well. And so boldly, we declare that. Secondly, those who refuse to repent and will not believe in Christ, the disciples are given the authority to say to them, you're still in your sins. And so that's our mission and that's our message. I don't know how your allergies are doing with these lilies on the front uh, of, the, of the platform. Trust me, they're not as potent right now as they were earlier this week in my car. Um, it was warm. It was warm on whatever day, Tuesday or Wednesday, I picked them up and, uh, and I left the windows up for about an hour and came out like, like I, you know, roll down the windows, get up to 60 as quickly as possible um, in town. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. Brother Stoffer, I didn't do that. Um, Brother Heath. Uh, and, and just there's, there's, a, there's an aroma to them. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, it says of we who are believers, we are a savor or a smell of death unto death and to the other, a savor of life unto life. Our job is to give back in reference to Jesus the truth. You receive him, you're saved. You receive him, you're alive. You reject him, you are still dead in trespasses and in sins. And so this mission that God has given to us. What's your mission today? And if it's anything less than the mission God has given us through Jesus Christ, you will not be as grateful as you should be. Our level of gratitude shows whether we're living for the right purpose or mission. I cannot believe that I, amongst all the brethren in this room today, get to preach about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's an unbelievable privilege. It's also a sobering responsibility. Have you gotten over the fact that you know the truth and you get to share the truth and love the truth into other people's lives? Allow that to renew your sense of gratitude to the Lord. The way to share in the full power of the resurrection of Jesus is to embrace the calling of that living Savior. Maybe your feebleness and your weakness and your hesitancy in life is because you've left the mission. When you're on mission, the power of the living Christ rests Upon you, and so lean into what God has called us to be. One author said this We practice our death by giving up our will to live on our own terms. Only in that relinquishment or that renunciation are we able to practice the resurrection. I give up my will and purpose and mission, I lean into His mission and purpose. That's where the resurrection power of Jesus comes. Let's end today in verse 30 and 31. So at the end of this chapter, John gives a summary of his book and the purpose of it. John chapter 20, if you will, and look down at verse 30. Before we read those verses, I was reading of a lady named Dorothy Parker. Uh, She was known in days gone by as an American writer and poet. She wrote uh, prolifically and was well-known, especially in her day. And Dorothy Parker, known for her words, described gratitude as the most sniveling attribute of the human condition. She despised it. Um, And the question we should ask of her, this one who rejected gratitude, was where did that lead her? One who was unwilling to be grateful, one who was unwilling to be beholden to anyone or anything. The article jumped out at me because at her death, she was so bitter and alone that she was cremated no one claimed, came to claim her ashes. And for 20 years, those ashes were in a file cabinet of her attorney. That's where a life lived without gratitude in Jesus Christ and toward others leads us and ends, right? We end alone. 
We end without God. We end without the love and favor of others around us because gratitude is viewed as a sniveling attribute of the human condition. John here reminds us of a different path. Look at verse 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus after showing to Thomas and showing him, the one who needed to see to believe, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But, now John gives us the purpose of the book, but these are written that ye, speaking I think to us today through the inspiration and preservation of God, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that's the belief, that's the what, now what's the so what? And that believing ye might have life through his name. Life through his name. See, thanksgiving, we're talking about gratitude, thanksgiving means first we have to receive a gift, right? And the problem with receiving the gift of salvation for all of us in the room is that takes humility. See, humility really is the issue. It's not really gratitude. It's the fact we're not willing to admit we need anything or anyone. And yet we desperately needed God to send His Son to die on a cross, be buried, and resurrected the third day so that our need of salvation could be met through Him. In Romans 10 and verse 9, it says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart, this is how intimate it has to be between you and God, that God hath raised Him from the dead, what happens? Thou shalt be saved. And all of us today only are saved because we believe and we confess that God hath raised him from the dead. I end today with this picture. Um, This was me in January standing out. So this would be outside. They just recently, they erected that steel kind of iron fence there, that iron fence that's back to my right. Before you actually could walk right into the burial place where um, I showed you the picture of now that you can walk in and turn to your right there's just a blank wall to the left, but to the right would be the, uh, the places the bodies would have been laid. And, and I was just thinking, i show you that picture not to say, hey, look, I was at the Holy Land. The church had a, a key part in, in funding that, allowing me to go and represent the church as a result. But I hope I never forget where my foot feet stood right there in that moment. Because I'm sure in the years ahead, there are going to be other seasons where my feet are standing in some lower places in more discouraging places. And some of you are there today. You're not standing in front of the garden tomb. You've seen the death of everything you know and love and you were counting on and banking on and everything's changed. And I hope I'll never forget that feeling of God's provision through the finished work of Christ, the resurrection. And can I encourage you today, it's worth it to trust anew and afresh if you're a believer It's more than worth it for the first time to put faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And as we walk through life with all of the ups and downs and all of the meandering as it feels, it's all headed somewhere, and it's headed to where? The feet of Jesus, who no longer lay upright in a tomb, but are enthroned in glory. And we will worship Him, and we will worship Him, and we will worship Him. Heaven is a place of just saying thanks to Jesus forever. And I think this Easter would be a good Easter to renew that or for the first time lean into that and say, Jesus, thank you for coming to die for my sins. I accept as a sinner the free gift of salvation you alone give. As a believer, man, again, today I needed that reminder. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done and what you're doing and what you will do as I yield to your will. 
this question and we'll pray. Will you allow God to remove your excuses for ingratitude with his resurrecting evidence, his resurrecting intimacy, and his resurrecting mission? We have no excuse if the tomb is empty to be grateful this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today.